0: last last time we talked about we started sort of an introduction to Rosh Hashanah Tfilot, really to the Tfilot of the high holidays, that was the focus of last time. And uh what we what we discussed last time, I think, really in essence, was more like about tfilah in general and why tfilah is so central to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's always important to think in terms of Uh, The larger context So When you're looking at Let's say Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur And you notice That the tefillot Are very long So you wonder You know What is it about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur That necessitates Like why is tefillah So critical So central To these holidays And then you start To think about Well what is tefillah Really about And what are these holidays Really about And that's kind of What we touched on Last time Uh, I think that was The main thing We talked about Which was that Tefillah is about Our own Internal uh, reflection on who, on our you know being in the presence of Hashem and what our purposes in life and evaluating our priorities and and calibrating ourselves with with Hashem's plan and that's really what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are about. So it makes sense that you would have a great emphasis on Tefillah and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur since Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are really about that. Okay, so. Um, when you think about things in their bigger picture, you think about well, what is tefillah really about and what is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? what is really the theme, what is really the purpose, so then you could see why they intersect. So um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail. There was one point that somebody brought out who's not here now, but somebody brought out a question at the... Because one of the questions that was raised um, by one of the girls during the class, and then one of the guys came with a follow-up question after the class uh, about like what happens metaphysically or what happens in Shemaim on Rosh Hashanah Kippur and I was saying that really the emphasis in Judaism is always in what's happening down here you know it's not really on what's happening uh, in Shemaim it's more like we are changing and we are evolving and we are growing and we are rededicating ourselves to Hashem and therefore Hashem responds to us differently not because Hashem changed but because our attitudes change or our spiritual level you could say change or our balance of however you want to think of it however you want to process it but the changes are occurring in this realm not in the Shemaim realm so uh, afterwards one of the guys came and asked a good question he asked well if that's the case that really the change is happening only and the reason why I'm mentioning it now is because it wasn't on the recording because it was a post conversation you know uh, if if everything that's happening is really happening down here and not in Shemaim, there's no like deadline in Shemaim that Hashem is like, come on, I have to write in, put in everyone's grades by Yom Kippur, so you know you have a deadline. You know, if it's not really from Hashem's perspective, so then why are we limited to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Why do we put such a great emphasis on it that oh my God, you know we have to we have to do teshuvah now? This is the last opportunity, and the Ilah is really the closing of the doors. I and mean, why do we make such a big deal out of that if really it's not true? And really, Hashem doesn't, uh, you know, it's not that Hashem is like sealing the book and handing in the grades or however you want to think of it, you know, but people like to think of it in uh, in a metaphor that suits their generation. So the way that people thought about it thousands of years ago was a king passing a decree, but we don't really have kings passing decrees. So we think of, you know, the worst decree anybody can have is like a performance review at their job or a... uh, or or maybe uh, maybe a, uh, I guess we do have court but we don't usually we don't have that happen to us as often so it's, uh, it's not the same as in ancient times where the king really was you know a very palpable presence in everyone's life it's not the same thing here where we have a democracy so like the whole purpose is for government to be as little involved in your personal life as possible and only when you mess up you have to deal with that You know, it's it's a totally different feeling of government today. So, you know, I think of teachers giving grades. I think of, you know, uh, bosses giving evaluation, whatever. However you want to think of it. If that's the way to think of it, so why is it only once a year? Why is there Rosh Hashanah? That was the question that the young man asked. It was a very good question. So I answered him, but I'm going to share with you what I answered him at the time. And I'll be able to quote it from inside the book instead of uh, off the cuff, which is in the Rambam, talks in Hilchot Teshuvah, he kind of addresses this question because he talks about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. He talks about the idea of doing teshuvah specifically at the time of year Aseret Yemei Teshuvah in particular, the ten days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's really a critical time to uh, uh, to do teshuvah. And so the Rambam, when he talks about uh, when he talks about the repentance of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, so he makes a statement, an extra statement. So he, he talks about how. <clears throat> He talks about the idea of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur being critical and that this is the time that, you know, uh, he says, really a person should do Teshuvah all the time, right? But at the time, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's especially desirable to do Teshuvah. That's what the Rambam says. So he says, um, where is it? Because he talks about the judgment of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then he says, Where is the halacha that I'm looking for? I wanted to read it out of here. So you would believe me that it's real. Oh. Ah, here we go, yeah. So I was, I was ahead of myself, okay. So, Yom Kippurim. So right, so he says that he says even though it's always good to do teshuvah. Obviously, a person who is on the wrong path, it's always better to change. Like, don't say to yourself, "Well, I started something, or some really bad thing, right after Yom Kippur. I'm just going to continue to next Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur because you know why should I? Why should I change now? You know, don't think that way. It's always good to improve yourself. He says, but especially good during the ten days of repentance. Why is it especially good? Umiyadi because it's accepted right away, okay. But then the Rambam adds something, and this is what I think the critical thing is. So that would sound like to you, right, that the Rambam is saying that there's something special about this time that Hashem, it's like grade time. So this is the time to get in. Like, when is it most important to behave in class right before the marking period is over? Because Teacher might not remember, you know, how you were in the beginning of the marking period that much. But the la- I-, I know from being a teacher, you know, what's fresh in your mind is those last couple of weeks. The kid that was behaving so well and they were handing in all their assignments. So you're going to be like, that's a good kid, right? So it, it, it sounds like that from Hashem's perspective. It's like, you know, oh, during Asar di that's that's the most important time. So it does. So it was a good question that the young man asked. That. Why is it that how how could you say it's only something from our end that we're changing? If really it sounds like Hashem does have a deadline, so what's so? But then the met something. This is what I told him. That's biachid. That's only an individual. but the community calls the man shosin shalem. Any time they do shuva and they cry out to Hashem with a whole heart, hey they have the they have the answer from Hashem. Hashem will accept it. So what does that show you? Again, the, the, it's, the Rambam is especially good at this And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people love the Rambam Because he's so good at putting things in their proper categories okay? A person could easily think The time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a magical time Something is going on in Shemaim that only happens once a year and that's it And if you miss it, you miss it The Rambam is showing, you, that's true, it's true but the Rambam is explaining to you what is it about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that is so special? What is the Rambam saying? He's not saying it's because Hashem is busy, so he makes only ten days a year to uh, to judge the people. He doesn't say that. What is he saying? What's really the, the Rambam is putting it in a broader context? He's telling you that actually Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are just examples of times that the entire community does Teshuvah. Because really, if the entire community, the entire Jewish people, gathered together to do Teshuvah and pray to God at any time, it would have the same effect, he says. It's just that how likely is that ever to happen? Not really going to happen. So Hashem, in the Torah, legislates for us to do it once a year. But hypothetically, hypothetically, if the entire Jewish people engaged in (coughs) Teshuvah sorry, I didn't drink the tea early enough engaged in Teshuvah together at any other time of the year in theory it could have the same effect because really what the Rambam is telling you is it's the individual who needs the community (coughs) because we are limited a person in their own growth is limited by their environment when everybody is involved in trying to become better, it's easier for us to become better. But everybody is doing it. When everyone is going along their merry way and you try to become better, everyone's like, "Hey, what's wrong with you?" You know, what? What? what all of a sudden you became so uh, religious. You became so this. Oh, you tried to stop. Like we were talking about Lashon Hara last night. Oh, you tried. You trying to stop saying Lashon Hara Why? You think you're better than everybody? But if it's during the month of Elul or it's during a certain Shulchan people are like, "Oh, okay, it's Yom Kippur. Everyone is trying to be better." Right, so there's there's an understanding. Everyone's trying to be better, so it helps you along because we're all part of a community, right? Not just our individual community. I'm saying Jewish, the Jewish people. So the Rambam by mentioning who needs Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the individual really needs it. Why do they need it? They need it because we need community to do teshuvah. We because we're always looking over our shoulder. We're always going with the flow to some extent. We can only there's a limit to how much we can be disconnected and stand apart from our community. Right From the people around us So therefore the Rambam is telling you That in theory That really what is Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is national Teshuvah Could national Teshuvah happen at another time of the year? Hypothetically Could it have the same impact in our relationship with Hashem As it does on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? Hypothetically Is it likely to ever happen? No Which is why we have (coughs) Every year a fixed time of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur but that Rosh Hashanah, See if Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur The Rambam just told you It's a fixed time That's it That's it. It's, it it's set in stone There's no other time You can ever do Teshuvah So then it really does sound Like it's a top down phenomenon Like Hashem has a deadline These are It's a tax See it's April whatever You know It's, a, it's, it's, it's your, your tax date Or your fiscal year date right? It's a fixed date And that's it But it's not that way The Rambam is showing you It's not that way it's because the nation is doing teshuvah that it has that power, and Hashem commands us to to engage in national teshuvah once a year so that all of us can benefit from that. So that, and I think that's an important. thing So that emphasizes actually the opposite idea that really, where is the power of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? It's coming from us. So when we say the prayer, we say Mikdash Yisrael, Yisrael meaning the Jewish people are the ones. Like I mentioned in the Midrash to the young lady who asked last week, <clears throat> that the Midrash says that the angels ask Hashem, when is Yom Kippur, when is Rosh Hashanah, when, when, when? and Hashem says, why are you asking me? I don't know, ask the Jews. They're the ones who decide the calendar. You know, the Kiddush Chodesh. they decide the calendar. If it was some fixed, absolute thing, how could it be that we decide the calendar? It would be decided in, in heaven. We could, be, we could be wrong, you know? We could be off. How can there be two days of Rosh Hashanah? Hashem knows what the right day is. Right. So you see that really it's something that is our approach to Hashem, that Hashem is telling us this is the time you need to do national Teshuvah every year. That's, that's the critical thing in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Not to focus on what is God doing right now. Focus on what we're doing right now. That's the key thing. Just like when we change in the prayer room, we start to say HaMelech HaKadosh. We start to say Hashem is the king. Instead of aelah kadosh, it's a melech hakadosh. Is that because the rest of the year Hashem is not the king? We, we, he's only the king. What? Right, right. So when, but that's about us having a greater awareness of Hashem's kingship, not because Hashem is more the king now than any other time. We say Hashem melech, Hashem malach, Hashem yimloch. Hashem's kingship is is, is constant. It's 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 eternal. It's not dependent on any particular time or limited to any time, or more one time than another time. It's just that we are more in touch with it at one time than another time. And obviously the Torah is made for human beings. It's not made for malachim. So we have, so the Torah is designed for us. Hashem knows if He waits for the Jewish people to decide it's a good time to do national Teshuvah, it's never gonna happen. And they'll just fight with each other about when to do it and everybody will disagree and there won't be, uh, there won't be time. So Hashem legislates it, because that's how people work. People work best when there's a fixed deadline. Yes? I, mean, I totally get what i is saying with that, but I guess I'm wondering if Yishuvah can be done so much on an individual level, then why do we need a national Yishuvah or a necessary Yishuvah to fix what's in where Yishuvah can be done very much on an individual level? Well, like I'm saying, you know, I... It definitely can, and I think everyone, probably everybody has gone through a time in the middle of the year randomly where they're like, you know, I really need to work on this about myself, or I really want to be better in this, and, and they start working on it, and maybe they're successful, you know? But because, oh, because I think the, the answer to that is because our identity, we have two identities that we walk around with. We have our individual identity, but we also have a social or communal identity, you know? And if you think about it, I'll give you a thought experiment that's very relevant to our community, okay? I'm glad it's a small turnout tonight. And I don't want to get in too much trouble. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. Yeah, I'm going to give you an example relevant to our community to give you an idea. Let's say a person, let's say a person says, you know what? I don't want to talk during the tefillah anymore. I'm not going to talk during the repetition of the chazan on Shabbat anymore. But you're not really allowed to talk. I'm telling you honestly, you're not allowed to. right? But everybody does. Almost everybody. Imagine a person decides, I'm not going to do it anymore. Everyone's going to be like, oh, come on. What, you became so religious all of a sudden? Oh, what, you did better than us? You know? I'm not saying only in our community. That would happen anywhere. Right? That happened anywhere. But, if a person said, look, it's a serdium I'm, I'm doing this for my serdium et I'm trying to improve. Okay. Everybody's mind is on the idea of improving. Right now, we respect that. Right? So a lot of people that do tanit tibur on Yom Kippur, or whatever they do. Right? People respect it because they know it's Yom Kippur. If you start doing it every Shabbat, they're going to think you're cuckoo. Right? So, But the idea is if a person gets into the mindset during this time of making certain changes, because they have that inertia of the community that everyone is supportive of the idea. If you say now, do more chesed, oh, all of a sudden what? You became goodie goody two-shoes, you're going to do chesed. No, it's Elul, you know, it's Rosh Hashanah. Then if you continue that, it's okay, nobody's going to say anything that you continue that. Right, but you started it when there was a wave of everybody together trying to improve so it it was able to more smoothly integrate with your identity because a lot of what holds people back the truth is that's one of the things in Teshuvah they say is galut going to a new place why? because when you go to a totally new place nobody knows you nobody expects anything from you good or bad they don't know you so you get to introduce yourself so here, everybody assumes you're X, Y, Z. This is how you behave. This is the type of person you are. And if you deviate from those ex- expectations, you're going to feel pressure. Oh, what happened? You know, why? Why did you change like that? Or why? What? You know, what? You know, why did you become more this or less this or whatever? When you're in a situation that you're brand new, so you really can start all over again. So, in one way, it's humbling because when you're in a place that everybody knows you, it's kind of more affirming and, and it's more like reassuring and you feel valued and you feel recognized, everyone knows who you are. But it's a great opportunity when you go to a new place to reinvent yourself. If you've ever gone to let's say a new job, right? Or a new school or whatever. Right? You have the opportunity to introduce yourself on your terms. You can be a different person. You can say, I've decided I'm starting a new job. I'm instead of being like that, I'm gonna be like this. I'm gonna be better. You know? I'm gonna be more friendly to my coworkers and introduce myself on the first day. I don't know. Whatever, you know, or you go into a new neighborhood, you move into a new neighborhood, because there are neighborhoods besides Great Neck, and, uh, and, you know, you move into a new neighborhood, and people don't know you, and you say, you know what, I was always very, uh, I don't know, not that friendly to my neighbors, I'm going to be very friendly to my neighbors when I move in, and everyone is going to think of me when I come in, I'm friendly, to, I'm friendly to my neighbors. If you were not friendly, and all of a sudden you start knocking on everyone's door with brownies and, uh... And uh, whatever. people They're going to think you're weird. Like what happened to you, right? Why did you all of a sudden start doing that if you didn't do that before? But if you're new, nobody knows who you are. So you get to set the terms. So that's part of what makes Elul or, or, or the time of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur so much more advantageous. Because like everybody is thinking now to try to be better. So if you say, I'm trying to do this to be better, it's going with the flow. It's not going against the flow. Because us- we are usually... People of inertia, right? Inertia means, as you remember from physics, if something is not moving, it will continue to not move unless it gets moved. And if something is moving, then it'll continue moving unless you stop it, right? That's what inertia is. It works both ways, right? So in the same way, normally people expect status quo. Right now, if you say I'm doing more, they're not gonna think you're crazy. So it may, and in fact, everyone is looking for ways, hopefully, to to, to improve themselves. And that, that's, that's the beauty of the time for self improvement. Like, it's one of the zechuyot of being part of the Jewish people that we have this time that everyone is awakened to try to be better. And if we can get, if we can improve in some significant way, even if 50% of it we have, we backtrack afterwards, we still gain something. You know, meaning if we can go, we can take 10 steps forward now and maybe we'll only be able to sustain it until Sukkot, you know. But even if we end up with a sum total of three or four steps ahead, we're still ahead. That's the benefit and the beauty of it. Our fate is which which is basically that our fate is linked to everyone else yeah yeah our 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 fate, our destiny, our history, everything about us is we're not like there's a saying, no man is an island, you know everybody is interconnected, so <clears throat> yeah we're also responsible for one another because of that we also have a responsibility for one another because of that, same reason so. If when we look at it that way, so that's that's the power of this time of really in the in the Rambam doesn't talk about Elul at all. He only starts talking about starting from Rosh Hashanah because in those days there were two different traditions even among the Sfaradim. There were Sfaradim that started saying slichot starting at Elul, and then there were then there were Sfaradim that only started as early as Not everybody had the Minha, minhag of the slichot of Elul like we have. Different, uh, it was, went back to the times of geonim There was two different schools of thought. And, but like in, if you, but it's hard to imagine that people didn't, weren't aware of the idea of Elul because they know that Rosh Hashanah, I mean, of course they're going to be aware that, that, that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are coming up and they're going to have it on their mind and they're going to be mentally getting ready, even as, you know, there might not have been a technically been slichot. Just like the Ashkenazim, they don't have slichot during Elul, but they're still talking about, oh, it's Elul, it's a special time. So it does create a buzz for trying to be better. Oh, you accepted upon yourself a new mitzvah. That's normal because it's Elul. It doesn't make you a weirdo. Right? This is true. If it's really true. Psychologically, it's a lot harder to change when you're in a, uh, you know, when you're in a, a setting where people have expectations of you and it seems unusual to them. You know? I have an issue with that because why do I think about what other people say? Hmm. Like if I want to start taking something I'm not saying you should think about that. I'm just saying it's in the human nature. So, like, there's a lot of things that are... um, There's a lot of things that we do that are... Or that the Torah tells us to do. That it tells us to do because human nature might be different. Even though, if you're a very principled person, it's like... Like, it says, why does the Torah mention... In that order... Oh, because most people love their mom and fear their dad. Like their dad is more disciplinary. I mean, and, and, and the mom is more nur- nurturing, right? So they have, so so therefore the Torah tells you because kavod is more like the loving things that you're supposed to do towards your parents, you know? And when it talks about revering your parents, like fear of your parents, quote unquote, it's not really fear in the way that, you know, like a horror movie means like uh, having, uh, right, awe or reverence or whatever you want to call it. So that, it mentions the mother first because most people with the mother, oh, it's much more informal. It's much more... So, so if a person is really principled, they're going to be like, I don't need the Torah to tell me that. Of course, my parents, both of them are equal. Why would I think I should give more of one of those uh, responses to my mother than my father? That's true. But in human nature, still human nature, that, so the Torah is speaking to human nature. So you're 100% right that in theory... Like, I don't think Eliyahu Hanavi would need to have Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur to do Juba, But I'm not Eliyahu Hanavi. So it helps me as an ordinary person when I'm in an environment that there's a heightened push towards, towards, towards improvement. Right? Now, that's, that's still talking in generalities and we're, we're talking a lot of generalities. Now, let's get to the filot of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. What is, and this is something that Charlotte mentioned last week, uh, what is the term that the Torah uses to describe the day of Rosh Hashanah, you're not allowed to answer because you said it left. Unless nobody else gets the answer, then you. It doesn't say in the Torah Yom Adin. What is Rosh Hashanah called in the Torah? What what's the what's its name? It doesn't say that in the Torah. Though. What does it call the first day of Tishrei? What? Yom Teruah, very good. Did, you, did Charlotte whisper it you? No, I'm kidding with him. Kidding. Yeah, very good. Okay, Yom Teruah, the day of Teruah. Teruah actually means what? What does it literally mean? You know what I mean? What? That's how we interpret it, that's right. That is what it practically means, but... Huh? No, more basic than that. Um, Teruah means crying, crying out. It means, it could mean crying out in prayer, but it means crying out. It doesn't actually say the word shofar. We have by tradition, by oral tradition, to peh, that we have to use a shofar. It doesn't actually say that in Torah. Just says, Yom a day of crying out. Now, what is crying out essentially? Praying, right? It's talking about tefillah. It's talking about a day of tefillah. So that fits with what we were saying last time about the identity of Rosh Hashanah is very much about prayer. If you look at the Torah, this is very interesting, the Torah doesn't say anything about Rosh Hashanah except that it's Yom Teruah. That's it. It doesn't say, why are you crying out? It doesn't say, what's the significance of that day? What does it spend a lot of time talking about? Yom Kippur. Right? So, so the Ramban, when he talks about it in the Chumash, he says... Even based on the simple reading of the Chumash, you can see the idea of the seret Yemei Teshuvah. Why? Because Rosh Hashanah, why are you sounding an alarm and crying out on Rosh Hashanah? Because Yom Kippur is 10 days away. Right? It's the simple reading of the Chumash has them together. Has Rosh Hashanah as the introduction or the warning ahead of Yom Kippur. Okay? So it's the beginning of some process. But it's Yom Tewah. A day of crying out. What is the crying out Really And how does it affect Our uh, And how does it integrate Like we said last time One of the really interesting things About Rosh Hashanah Obviously this year The first day is Shabbat So we don't have Shofar That's a whole other story But Usually we integrate The tefillah With the Shofar Which is something We don't normally do Nobody says uh, In the middle of the Amidah Start shaking the lula In the middle of the Amidah Start eating matzah Obviously not Right We don't ever take a mitzvah and start doing it in the middle of the Amidah, but we start doing the shofar in the middle of the Amidah. Because shofar is a type of tefillah. It's a type of wordless tefillah. Okay? But there's only one thing. There are three ideas in the shofar. And this is what I had mentioned last week that I wanted to get to this week. There are three themes in the shofar. And that's why you have something really unique in the musaf, of Rosh Hashanah, that you don't have on any other holiday, which is instead of having basically uh, seven brachot in the Amidah, the three regular ones in the beginning, the three regular ones in the end, and one in the middle that ends Mikadesh Shabbat or ends Mikadesh Israel Vazmanim or ends Mikadesh Israel V'Rash chodeshim instead you have three brachot. One that ends, one that's called the blessing of the of zichronot shofarot, and you have malchiot, right? You have the kingship. The kingship of Hashem is the first one. Melech al kol ha'aretz mekadesh yisrael v'yom hazikaron. Second one is zichronot sucher Third one, where we bless Hashem and we say shomea that Hashem hears chuatamoy yisrael ba'ava, or ba'achamin rather. That Hashem hears the Torah, he hears the shofar of the Jewish people. Now, why is this really remarkable? Because after each one of these brachot, we blow the shofar. Right? After each one of them. Which suggests that there's a connection between the shofar and each one of these brachot. It's almost like the shofar expresses so much without words that we need three brachot to unpack everything that the shofar expresses without words the three ideas of those three blessings of the musaf are actually inherent in or implied in the blowing of the shofar but in a wordless way and so when we blow the shofar we are it, we're suggesting that we've said a lot about the kingship of hashem but we can't our words are not sufficient to express it so we blow the shofar it's it's really beyond our ability to express with words and there's another really interesting thing that we do in the Bachot of of, of the Musaf, which you, if you've ever noticed, can we look at the? Everyone, did anyone take a machzor? I want to show you something very interesting about the structure of these Bachot. This is uh, There's some over here. Machzor? Anybody wants? Oh, here, here go. Uh, no, see, you go. What? No, see, sorry, no, it's not Arabic, Sorry. I know. I no, this doesn't have Okay But, the, um, but in, in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah You have these Brachot You have something very interesting That you don't find in any other Musaf Which is that for every bracha Of the special Brachot Malchiot, zechonot, and Shofarot You have citations of verses from the Tanakh A lot of them How many? Does anybody know? Ten for each how did I know that? I didn't count it. That's what the halakha is. Okay. There are actually there are nine. There's three from the Torah, three from the Ketuvim, from the tehillim usually, three from the navi. And why is Ketuvim before navi? Because Tehilim was written before the navi. right? And then three from the naviim and then one more from the Torah to close it. That's what you have for everyone. So if you look for example, just as an example, uh, the longest one is Malchiot. And it has Alinul Shab in it, and that's how they that's how they introduced the Psukim with Alinu al Because the end of Alinul Shabah on four twenty nine, Kakatuvba Toatah, Hashem Imluch, Leolambain. Okay, this is on page four twenty nine. And then it starts quoting all these other verses. And it also says That's from, that's from uh, Bil'am's speech. Bil'am's uh, blessing. That's from Moshe Rabbeinu's <coughs> So that's three verses already from the Torah. And then it says In your holy writings it says And that's from the Teilim Three Psukim. All of them have the word Melech in it. Why do they all have the word Melech in it? Because that's a theme, Malchiyot, right? And then, on 430, And through your prophets, it says, and a bunch of verses that mention kingship in the prophets. And then, last but not least, on the very bottom of 430, In your Torah, it says, which the Gemara says, means the kingship of Hashem, because it's saying He's the one and only. It implies, even though it doesn't say the word Merach, doesn't say the word king, but it's good enough. All right? So what's the point? You have these 10 verses. Now, in Zichronot, exactly the same thing. If you don't believe me, you can check. <clears throat> and it starts on, uh, for, the, for the next section, it starts on page um, uh, 435. You start getting verses that mention mem- remembrance of Hashem. Three from the Torah, three from Teilem, three from the prophets, and then one more from the Torah. And then with Shofarot, same thing. Shofarot, the psukim start earlier because it's the shortest of the bachot. On page 440, you have three from the torah, three from the telim, three from the navi, and one more from the and then So you have 10 verses. So what is that showing? Are we supposed to be learning Tanakh in the middle of the prayers? We say, let's take a break from the prayers to study some random out-of-context verses from the Bible. But that, that's what you're doing. And by the way, it didn't have to be these verses. It just says in the Gemara that you could pick any verses from. These are just the ones that over tradition basically designated these to be the correct ones. Could have been other ones. It didn't have to be specific ones. You know, they, they could have inserted uh, different ones. And in some machzorim of some communities, there might be a difference in one or two of them here and there. So, uh, so it's not set in stone. It's the idea of having these psukim that say the word. What's the relevance of that? We're obviously not sitting to study these books of Tanakh. We're taking random verses out, essentially out of their context. What does it mean to cite verses? It means to cite authority, right? We're saying like it says in the good book. A, well, that's what, that's what Tevya said in, in Feather on the Roof. You know, the good book says this. I don't know if anybody saw Feather on the Roof. It's a very old movie. Um, but you know that's something that you would do. You'd say, "Oh, like it says." In the, people love to quote the Bible. They quote the Bible. The Bible says this. This, you know. So when you're quoting an authoritative source, you're saying, "I'm not the person who just said that Hashem is the King. It says it in the Torah. I'm not the meaning. It's giving. It's saying this statement is more than just my personal statement. This is a statement that is sourced in the word of Hashem Himself." Everything that I'm saying about Hashem, about him being the king, about him knowing all, that he remembers all, that knows all, everything about the shofar, it's all written in the good book. It's all written in the Tanakh. So it's again a way of showing our words are not sufficient. We're quoting from the Tanakh to make the point. As if to say our words could never really capture it because we're limited in our ability to wrap our heads around the idea. But that's part of the grandeur of our recognition of Hashem. Why don't we do that on every... It would be true on every Shabbat, every every holiday. We do usually, oftentimes quote verses in the Amidah on different holidays and on Shabbat. We do. <coughs> but not to this extent. We're doing it here in a way... It's a, it's a matter of the majesty of Hashem. Like, we can't even make these statements about Hashem on our own. We have to cite the Tanakh to make the point. It's a way of emphasizing the greatness of Hashem and our limited ability to praise Him. So we're quoting from the Tanakh instead. Like it says, in the, but really we have that idea all the time. Even in Baruch Shemar that we say before we say the Pesuket uh, Dizmor, we say, we say uh, that we, we want to praise Hashem and we say that we do that Bishirei David Avdach Nehalilach We're going to praise you with the songs of David, not with our own words because we don't have the ability. We don't, we're not on the level to be able to articulate. So we're quoting the Tanakh. So this is part of the emphasis of... So you have on one hand two ways of showing that our words are insufficient. One is by citing the Tanakh. One is by blowing the shofar. Okay? Yes. The only reason why, like, in a learning context, that's definitely true. I feel like in a tefillah context, especially because you could choose any pasuk that has the word melech in it. Hashem is the king. So it doesn't really, um, it's not really, like, organized as a thesis, like, to support the idea. It's more of a, because you just say again and again, and it also says this, and it also says this, and it also says this. It's like to emphasize that the words are not coming from us. You know what I'm saying? That it's coming from a higher authority. Just like if a person's making an argument to you and they keep bombarding you with sources. It's like, it's not me. It's this source and this source and this source. It's like, okay, fine. You know. uh, so like, that, but in a way, it's putting them lower because they're saying it's not, they might sound smart because they know all the sources, but it, you know, really they're saying it's not coming from me. It's coming from a higher authority. So that's the, that's the message of it. But just to look for one second at the shofar itself. So we have these three concepts, malchiot, zichonot, and shofar. Right? Kingship of Hashem, we understand. Hashem is the king, master of all. Zichronot means Hashem knows everything. And everything is laid out before him, and he plans everything, and he directs everything. So it's not just that he's the king, but that the details are significant to Hashem. It's actually called Yoma Zikaron. it's not called Yoma Malchut. Right? It's a, Yom HaMalchut would be the day Hashem, Hashem is king And everybody kind of emphasizes that idea Hashem is king But really it's actually Yom HaZikaron It's a day of remembrance Because the, the emphasis is not on an abstract idea That Hashem is king The emphasis is on what does that mean for me Yeah you say it's called Yom HaZikaron Like in the Kiddush let's say of the night of uh, of of Rosh uh, Hashanah, you say Mekadesh Melech Al Kolarz Mekadesh. That'll be Yom HaZikaron That's what it's called. Yeah. You say Hashikshav Zavetzivanu in Yom Tov. You say, yeah. You don't specify the Yom Tov for the candles. No, because you don't spec- you don't say like Sukkot or Pesach. You just say the Yom Tov. For that, but in the kiddush where you are specific, you say Yom Hazikaron. So Yom Hazikaron is really the, the and in fact when the when the there's a midrash that says that uh, Hashem tells the Jewish people say verses of Malchiyot before me, so I so you can bring your remembrance before me. Meaning the emphasis is that we be re, that we remember and be remembered. And whenever we say Hashem remember this, we don't really mean that we think Hashem forgot it we mean that we're bringing it to the forefront of our mind in our relationship with Hashem. Because the fact that a certain thing is true, let's say the fact that Abraham Avinu did the Akeda. Hashem knows Abraham Avinu did the Akeda. When I say to Hashem, remember the Akedah, it's not because Hashem forgot. It's because I forgot the significance of that moment in my history and what it means for me. I need to remember it, not Hashem need to remember Right, So that's the, Yom HaZikaron is the essential thing, that we are being remembered and remembering, that we are focusing on the fact that we have a purpose in this. It's not just that Hashem is the king, it's that every person has a role to play and has, has a mission, okay? And that we're evaluated based on that. We have to evaluate ourselves and Hashem's response to us and relationship to us is determined by to what extent we're fulfilling that mission and living in line with that, with that plan. That's the idea of Yom HaZikaron. What does the shofar contribute to that? Okay, and, and we're going to get to what shofarot means, because that's the last one. It's the strangest one. Because if you look at what the Barachav shofarot talks about, it's two things. Nothing to do with Rosh Hashanah. One is about Har-, Har Sinai, Ma'amad Har Sinai. It starts out by talking about that there was a shofar at Mount Sinai. And then it ends off by talking about the Shofar gadol lechiruteinu. Talks about the shofar shel Mashiach. The Mashiach is going to come. What does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Okay. What is it, what, what's the relevance of that to Rosh Hashanah? So that's the last piece. Okay? But before we get to that, and maybe we'll even leave that to next week, how much? Before we get to that, uh, why we mention Har Sinai, why, why we're mentioning uh, Mashiach and Rosh Hashanah, just to look at the shofar itself. So the shofar, there's three kinds of sounds that you make with the shofar, right? Everybody knows. Tekiyah is the simple one. And then you have a broken sound. Broken sound is either shvarim, tzorua, or shvarim tzorua. Why do we have these three kinds of sounds? So the Rambam says that really the reason is because you have to have a broken sound. And they weren't sure which kind of broken sound. They knew it had to sound like a cry. Should it be a cry like, uh, 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 like shvarim? Or a cry like somebody sobbing, (laughs) like that. Somebody really like, really crying. So, or a combination of the two. Like somebody starts out by like, with the bigger crying and then they start with the really short sobbing at the end, when they're breaking down. So we do all the variations of that. Okay? But what's very interesting is that you have always a sandwich, right? You have a tkiyah first. Then you have shvarim. Or Truah or Shvarim Truah in the middle, and then you have another Tikiyah always. Right? And in fact, when the Truah talks about it, it, it talks about the different kind of blasts when it speaks about the trumpets that Moshe Rabbeinu used in the midbar. It talks about Truah and Tikiyah there. And the interesting thing is that the verb Tikiyah, litkoah, can apply both to the Tikiyah and to the Truah. But the term Tariyah, there's a special verb just for the crying out sound that only applies to the, to the broken sound, it doesn't apply to the regular blast. You wouldn't use it for the regular blast, okay? So what does that suggest to us? That suggests to us that there is some general category of shofar, and within the general category of shofar, there's the crying sound. So it's correct to say about the crying sound that it's a type of tikia, it's a type of blowing of the shofar but it wouldn't be correct to say about the plain sound that it's a type of truah. It doesn't go that way. Just like it's correct to say about a chair uh, that it's a type of furniture, but it wouldn't be correct to say that all furniture is chairs, right? You wouldn't say that. So why is that? Because a shofar essentially is a tool of awakening. It's a tool of focusing, breaking you out. When, when you hear an alarm, what happens? Whatever you were doing, you wake up out of it, right, to see what's going on. It alerts you to something outside of whatever your little bubble was that you were in. That's what it does. A tikiyah can simply be a, 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 an attention-catching sound. A chua has the implication that there's a there's there's a problem, right? Because a chua is a crying. It's a problem. It's an alarm. So, if you look at what happened in the desert, when did they use the Tru'a? They used the Tru'a when there was an emergency, or when they had to move the camp from one place to another. Whenever a change was necessary, whenever they needed to respond to a crisis, when, or whenever they needed to move, <clears throat> they would use the Tru'a, the alarm. If they wanted the people to come together for a meeting, they would use the Tiki'a'lum. No. They didn't need a Tru'a, because not, it's, there's nothing wrong. We just, we're just announcing to everybody that it's time to. Come together for a meeting, so we don't need to use the alarm sound. We use a regular sound, right? So the the so the shofar uses both of these things. It uses the tikiyah. The way that I look at the, the the shofar is, you have to have the sandwich. Why? Because basically the t'ruah is interrupting the tikiyah. right? It's like you have a regular sound and then you have an alarm sound and then you have a regular sound. It's almost like it would have just been. One straight loud sound, but there's an interruption in the middle of that broken sound. That's that contrast is how you get the sense that there's an there's an urgency, that there's an urgency. Okay? Now, when we are using the shofar, what is urgent? What is the crisis? What is the you know what is the call? What do we need to worry about? And that's what the three ideas of the musaf are pointing to. One is. Hashem is the king. And we haven't been aware of that. We've lost our sense of that. Because we get, we get lost in the nitty-gritty of life and we lose the big picture. So one thing that's urgent is to recognize God, that itself. We have to shift our focus away from whatever the things are that are occupying us and focus on it. The other urgency is to remember You know, you have one life to live. Who says you have tomorrow? Who says you have next year? Who says how long you have? Right? Life is a gift. Are you using it to its fullest capacity? Are you really living the way you should? If you've never been lying in your bed awake at night at three in the morning thinking about that, then you're still young. Because if you're older, you have. Thought to yourself oh my God, how many more years do I really actually have? When I started mapping out, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And I started thinking, well, I probably only have X number of years. So I, and that's only if I'm fortunate enough to be healthy. So you start to think that way and think, what am I doing? You know, can I, are there things I'm doing in my life that are a waste of that energy and time and potential that I should direct some in another way? You really have to think about that. It is urgent because life is is, is fleeting. That's part of what it's about. And then shofarot. Last but not least, really, the two examples standing at Har Sinai. Okay, and the idea of the shofar of the Mashiach. Both of these have to do with Hashem making Himself present to us. Right. One is at Har Sinai. One is in the times of Mashiach. Because we're limited in our ability sometimes to break through those barriers and really see the truth. So as much as we recognize God's kingship and as much as we recognize we're part of God's plan and we need to really evaluate our lives and use them the best we can, we're asking for God to blow the shofar again, meaning we're asking Hashem to help us break through, shatter whatever... Barriers are holding us back from being able to perceive that truth. That's what happened in Har Sinai. Hashem, so to speak, came down uh, you know, with His presence and overwhelmed the Jewish people. And that's what's going to happen in the times of Mashiach. Right now it's easy to deny what's true, what's right, what's wrong. It won't be like that in the future. It will be overwhelming. It will be overpowering. It will be transformative experience. We're asking God for that because we realize that we can take 10 steps forward, but, but there could be a thousand steps to be taken. And, and, and we're held back by so many different forces that we ask God to help us. And that's the, that's what's in the shofar. The shofar is a declaration of God's kingship and the awesomeness and trepidation and, 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 and fear that comes with that. It's a recognition of our own being known by Hashem and needing to know our place in Hashem's plan which comes with its own fears and anxieties and also it's also a great opportunity I don't want to make it only sound bad recognizing God's kingship is a it's a day of joy it's not a day it's not a sad day but there's an urgency to it and then there's a crying out to God to help us overcome whatever's holding us back so that's these ideas are all in the prayer but the shofar says it without using words And that's the amazing thing about the shofar. It's able. But only when you understand the idea. It's like even Rashi says. Rashi says, saying the psukim. Why is the... the, Rosh Hashanah is called two things. It's called Yom Tru'ah. It's also also called Zichron Tru'ah. Remembrance of the Tru'ah. Rashi says, what is Zichron Tru'ah? It means, say psukim together. Say the verses of the Tanakh together with the blowing of the shofar. Why? Because that way you understand the ideas that the shofar is expressing. Otherwise, you could be blowing the shofar for any reason. You don't know what the context is. It's just a sound. But when you have those verses and those brachot around the shofar, now the shofar is like you've said everything you can with words, but then you, you experience something that's more than the, the, than the words themselves. That's the power of the shofar and why it's, why it's so, uh, so significant. So uh, hopefully this gave us an idea of why the shofar is integrated with the prayer what the three themes of the Musaf are which on every holiday the Musaf is the one that expresses usually the uniqueness of the day the most and we understand what the ideas are in the shofar that are it partners together with the prayer to bring out the experience of these three themes but ultimately Rosh Hashanah is supposed to be a day of joy it's a day of joy just like Yom Kippur incidentally is a day of joy because it's a day where we're reconnecting with what's really important that's not bad reconnecting with what's really important even if it's a little anxiety provoking is good because it means we're on the right we're going in the right direction if you're like what the, the, the rabbi say if a person tells you yeah, lo um person said I didn't put in any effort but I succeeded don't believe them if you're growing it's going to be a little difficult if you're reaching a higher level, it's not gonna be, be easy. Not just in the physical realm. If you're lifting a weight that's so light that you barely feel it, you didn't really work out, right? If you're running, if you're walking at a speed that you're not breaking a sweat, you're not really challenging your body, right? So physically, that's true. Spiritually, that's also true. If you're staying in your same comfortable, comfortable preconceived notions or your same comfortable habits of before of thinking and behaving, then you're not really growing. There should be a little bit of a feeling of tension if a person's making steps forward in any area. That's always going to be true. So we should be able to use these uh, themes to guide us as we prepare ourselves for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Next time, we'll do a little bit of, maybe of uh, the rest of the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah and then uh, transition to Yom Kippur. Okay? Thank you all for coming.